Hello, patriots. This is Living with Liberty, your source for common sense and truth. Bringing you insight from outside the mainstream, I am your host, Ryan. Today, we talk back-to-school insights for ensuring your kids are getting the education they need. We'll talk about defeatist Mitch McConnell and why he's whining about the candidates that have won primaries. We'll talk about why American institutions should not be trusted. And we'll finish up with the absurdity of forgiving student debt next on Living with Liberty. to school time. Some of your kids have already started. Some will be starting school in the coming weeks. Most of you that aren't able to pull your kids from government schools are undoubtedly concerned about what your kids' heads will be filled with in this age of woke education. I'm sure many of you are wondering what steps you can take to ensure your child does not lose the values that you teach and preach at home as well as what you can do to ensure they get an education that is going to allow them to become a successful adult. I have a Federalist piece here from Jill Simonian titled Back to School. If you can't change your school, do these five things instead. There's a number of things that can be done to ensure kids aren't exposed to something outside the values of your family. First on the list, examine the emergency forms. There's a lot of forms given out, whether it be the first day of school or at orientation or open house just before school starts. A lot of those contain uh, opt-outs that are hidden within the wording of the form. So if you don't return the form saying you're, you're opting out of something, your child's automatically opted in. And the thing is, if you don't know what these forms say, if you're not aware of what's contained in these forms... You could be opting into the school providing medical guidance and procedures without your consent and certainly providing your your child with psychological guidance without your consent. Schools are hiding things like pronoun preferences and the suggestion of medical procedures to transition genders. So it's imperative that you as parents are aware of what those forms say. Long gone are the standard boilerplate medical forms that we had when I was in school. I'm sure when many of you were in school. Those forms that just basically granted school officials authority to treat students in the event of an emergency. A student breaks his arm, gives the school authority for the school nurse to treat that broken arm. Call the uh, uh, ambulance in, whatever the case may be. 
those those days are long gone of of just those kind of simple standard forms of hey yep if my kid gets hurt you have my authority to treat them now there's all kinds of stuff hidden in them because there's we've got to, our kids have to deal with the this you know transgender with the schools just saying the parents values don't matter we will when you're here, you can do whatever you want, uh, basically turning our kids into activists that buck the morals and values that we teach at home. So it's imperative that these forms are read, that you understand what's in them, and that your student is opted out of them if you so desire. It's important to return those forms. Second thing that uh, Simonian notes that you can do, opt your child out of SEL, Social Emotional Learning, Sex Ed and DEI. Now, these kind of topics have become nothing more but indoctrination and grooming classes and topics at this point, grooming education. These are the classes that are used to turn your kids into activists against your family's values and morals. They're used to erode the nuclear family. The materials for these classes are a whole other topic here. These materials that are used in these classes do not typically come from curriculum publishers. Yes, curriculum publishers are putting this woke garbage into curriculum. They're bending history, things like that. But typically, when these topics are brought up, those materials are not coming from these curriculum publishers. Rather, these items this for the, this uh, coursework comes from agenda-driven activist agencies who donate the materials or money. Simonian notes to keep an eye out for homework, worksheets, online lessons, and digital surveys created by these outside agencies because it's a trend. It's a trend of, uh, of schools inserting these items into the educational process, and they're not for the, the express purpose of a of achieving academic goals. They're for the purpose of creating activists and to, to help out. So you're not alone. There are other like-minded families out there. Find those other like-minded uh, families to join you in opting out of these things. Third, and this is a, a very important one in my opinion, file a FOIA request, Freedom of Information Act request. You have the right to know what your child will be learning. You have the right to know the inner workings of your school district's operations. You have the right to know what the curriculum is. File FOIA requests if you need to. A lot of times you can ask the teachers or administrators for, for the curriculum. If they don't file the FOIA request, make a big stink out of this. Because the process is the punishment here. Now, our local school district officials, when I had met with them when I was running for office, complained about the amount of FOIA requests that they had to fulfill and how much it distracted administration from other priorities. If you find something objectionable, objectionable bring it up at a school board meeting. File these FOIA requests. They have to provide information, the information and the answers to you. It doesn't matter if it's taking up administration's time. It's less time they have to cook up other half-baked ideas uh, for SEL classes and all this other crap they want to teach kids. If you find something, say something. Bring it up and get other parents involved. Put the pressure back on the schools. The more you shame them, the more you make things public, the more they're going to shy away from uh, from putting this stuff out there and, and from teaching this stuff. But you have to uh, get together, you have to organize, and you have to fight back against it 
and make a big fuss about it. Fourth, another big one, volunteer in your child's classroom or library. There's no better deterrent to a teacher or school engaging in teaching inappropriate or activist material than parents sitting in the classroom or inspecting the books in the library. That would be pretty ballsy to to engage in some sort of of SEL or sex ed or whatever with a parent sitting right there in the classroom. It will be a deterrent. Fifth, last one, don't waste time driving. So what does Simonian mean by that? It's use the time in the car wisely. And I'll take this from her piece. With schools in many major U.S. cities starting to ban D's and F's, eradicate citizenship grades, and allow students to retake tests in the name of rejecting privilege, it's no secret that our education system and the unions have abandoned teaching children our unifying values of freedom, hard work, responsibility, and the equality of opportunity. It's up to us parents to discuss the values that are no longer being taught in schools. Use the car time to reinforce your family values and morals. Use the car time to teach about our great republic, to, to instill those American values of hard work, of equality, of being able to, if you are willing to put the work in, being able to move up your move your status up in life. Use the car time to reinforce that. Use it to reinforce the values that have made us the most successful nation in history. American exceptionalism has been stripped out of schools, and it has been replaced by beta curriculum filled with Marxist bullcrap. School culture is downstream of our national culture, so if we instill traditional American values in our kids, right? The, the national government and the media have pushed this down into schools. If we instill the traditional American values in our kids, it's really a, a kind of a cycle of life, if you will. Um, yes, school culture is downstream of the national culture. It stuff seeps in there. But if we can change it, it'll circle back around. As those kids grow out of school, they become adults, they start pushing those values back into the system. So it's, it's, it's circular at the end of the day. We have to be willing to do the work to teach our kids, to instill the values in our kids so they, they come out of those schools strong, that they fought back against this Marxist garbage, they didn't let it infiltrate their head, and they can propagate those American values back through our society. If we get enough parents opting out of these things, opting out of the SEL and the the grotesque sex ed classes and opting out of saying, no, the only thing you as a school can do is in an emergency, my kid breaks his arm, you can call an ambulance, the nurse can treat them, and that's it. Start opting out of this stuff. The more we start making the schools adhere to these special requests, they, the school officials will relent because there's going to be a time where it's, there's a tipping point. They can't hire enough people to maintain all of these special requests. They can't keep track of well, Johnny needs to do this and, and Sally needs to do that, there'll become a time where they'll relent and get back into something, okay, we're going to not make sure we don't have agenda-driven curriculum, make sure we're teaching things in an appropriate manner at the appropriate ages, and we have appropriate materials in our library. They will relent. It'll become too much work. The process is the punishment, and parents need to use it to their full advantage. Living with Liberty now has a show clips channel on Rumble. If you, the channel is called Living with Liberty Show Clips, these clips are perfect for sharing a quick insight with friends and family or 
just for a quick reference on a topic we covered on the show. Head to the Living with Liberty Show Clips channel on Rumble. Hit the subscribe button. Don't forget to hit the Rumble button on the clips you watch. The more subscriptions we have, the more Rumbles we get, the more the channel and gets into the recommendations made by the algorithms at Rumble, and the more we can spread the truth. All right, coming on the heels of the last show where we dissected the state of the GOP and called into question their actual commitment to change and winning, that clown show is once again proving us right in terms of their fecklessness. Mitch McConnell is already at it with his defeatist attitude. The establishment is under attack. There's so many Patriot candidates winning across the country, and cocaine uh, cocaine Mitch doesn't like it. He's facing a Senate Republican caucus that could be made up of even more non-political types. You know, the straight shooting, no BS, get things done people that we dirty deplorables like. We don't like those politicians with their silver tongue talk and their lies. We want people that are going to get things done. Mitch's big problem with them is that they won't be likely to genuflect at the altar of St. Mitch McConnell, so he seems to be doing his best to torpedo some of their chances. I have a Molly Hemingway piece here titled, Come on, Mitch McConnell, Republicans need you to step up and lead. Mitch apparently doesn't like the quality of candidates that we the people have picked. This is what Mitch McConnell had to say when he was asked about the GOP's chances in November, particularly in the Senate. I think there's probably a greater likelihood the House flips than the Senate. Senate races are just different. They're statewide. Candidate quality has a lot to do with the outcome. So he's calling into question candidate quality. Now, if the candidates weren't of a certain quality, they wouldn't have been elected in, period. And now there's, that's a generality, of course, but the, the trend of the country has been to go towards patriot candidates, America first candidates. Mitch doesn't like that. His wife's got big dealings with China and, and China, Chinese shipping company. Now, what I'll do is I'll put on the Mumbles McConnell translator here for you and tell you what he's actually talking about. Now, it's the America First movement, as I mentioned before, and it's gaining more steam, not less, particularly after the raid on Mar-a-Lago. Establishment Republicans are being voted out in greater numbers than ever. This poses a threat to McConnell's hold on party leadership in the Senate in particular, if, especially if they take, uh, take the majority in the Senate. He's not the most popular Republican figure nationally. In essence, a lot of people can't stand him. And he has, at best, mixed reviews within the Patriot crowd. And I'm probably being overly gracious with that statement. I don't know that there's too many Patriots that are Mitch McConnell fans. And the biggest thing here for him is the threat of power or the threat of lost power. That is what he fears the most. He'd rather stay comfortable being the leader of the minority party in the Senate than possibly not being the majority leader. That's the story playing all throughout the uh, Republican Party establishment. They're tightening, the establishment's tightening their grip. They can't stand the thought of losing power. They'd rather cling to their power than do what's right for the people and for the country. Now, instead of realizing a change uh, is going on within the party, within our country, and working with those fresh ideas, melding those ideas, the establishment class stifles them because it's not their idea, so it can't be any good. And what they do is they run dirty campaigns against their challengers just to try and maintain their grip on power 
And they do this all the while alienating people who actually would consider aligning themselves with the party and actually would consider voting for them should these establishment candidates win out over the Patriot candidates. Now, you heard me in the last, my last show say, there, I, we have a local candidate. I will never vote for him again, nor will I vote for anybody associated with him again because he ran a dirty campaign, didn't run it on the issues. He ran it on his accomplishments from 10 years ago and smeared his opponent. That crap doesn't fly anymore. Now, what I think here will happen is I believe Republicans will get a pass in 2022 and 2024 just because things are an absolute dumpster fire right now. The Democrats are just that awful. Our country is is in shambles. But after that, all bets are off. As I said in my last show, the GOP risks irrelevance if they don't bring the patriot wing of the party into the fold, bring them in closer and start listening to and implementing some of their ideas. I'm not saying all the patriot ideas are great. I'm not saying all the establishment ideas are great. But pick the best ones of both and let's move forward with them. Anyway, back to old Mitchie boy here. Are people really that masochistic that they would vote for the same crap in the Democrats, especially when NBC's right track, wrong track poll shows that three quarters of Americans are saying that the country is on the wrong track? 75% of people say surveyed, and this is an NBC poll, it's not some right-leaning poll, 75% of people say the country is on the wrong track. This is a golden opportunity for the GOP to flip a bunch of Senate seats. Now, Hemingway notes that there are eight toss-up seats of the 14 seats that are expected to be reasonably competitive. Roughly a third of the Senate gets uh, elected every two years or is up for re-election every two years. Um, So that's about 30-ish seats, I think, this year. 14 of those seats are reasonably competitive. You have your solid red. You have your solid blue seats. You've got 14 reasonably competitive. Eight of those are viewed as toss-ups. So If the GOP could take those eight seats, that makes up a nice majority. They'd have 58, assuming everything else stays the same with those that are running again or the Republicans are stepping in for those that might be retiring. Uh, So 58, that's a decent majority. As it is, they only need to flip a couple of seats to take control of the Senate. But Mitch would rather play woe is me, rather do that than uh, back candidates that aren't Mitch McConnell-type candidates. Yeah, they're not. The candidates coming aren't your typical slimy politicians who have been in the D.C. swamp or the state capital swamp, wherever they're from, forever. They're not your typical politicians whose only skills are lying and deflecting blame. As Hemingway notes, a number of the candidates are successful people with great life experiences. This from the piece. Herschel Walker, Mehmet Oz, J.D. Vance, and Blake Masters are successful and impressive people in a variety of careers. Even the more traditional politicians running for re-election, Ron Johnson and Marco, Marco Rubio, I would argue on Ron Johnson, he's not your traditional politician. He's, yes, he's been in D.C. for 12 years, still not your typical politician. He came in with a Tea Party, had no political experience when he was first elected senator. Marco Rubio, I can go either way on. He might be a little more of your traditional politician, but even them are, as Hemingway notes, uh, better uh, among the better senators in office. Adam Lexalt running against an incumbent Nevada Democrat is a highly decorated former naval officer and Iraq war veteran. 
He was an incredibly successful attorney general in Nevada. So you have people here, we have candidates who have actual accomplishments in life, who've actually done things other than grease each other's palms and launder money through places like Ukraine. You have candidates who've actually done things in life, who are willing to dive into the swamp that is the district of corruption and try and make our country the best it can be to restore it to its glory. And all Mitch McConnell can do is bitch and whine about the quality of candidates. I look at this, these all seem like pretty damn good candidates to me. Well, Mitch, you know what? You don't do the hiring. We the people do. It makes me wonder if you are serious about the direction this country needs to go. Are you serious about turning things around or not? Your actions seem to suggest you are not. Suck it up and work to get these folks elected. Yeah, you're not going to agree with them. Yeah, they're not going to genuflect at the altar of St. Mitch. But at the end of the day, they're going to be a whole hell of a lot better than what we've got now on the Democrat side. Now, the choice is clear for McConnell and the rest of the GOP. Either embrace the patriots who are willing to put their reputations on the line and their families in the spotlight and deal with all the the flack that comes with that to serve their country, or you can continue on being the beta party you've been that will be irrelevant in five years because the true conservatives and patriots got fed up and left the party or stopped voting for you. The ball is in the GOP's court. If you are listening to the audio-only show and your platform allows for reviews, please give us a five-star review. It helps others find the show. Whether you are listening to the audio version or are viewing on Rumble or YouTube, hit the Rumble and thumbs up button. No matter the platform, be sure to hit that subscribe button. The more subscriptions we have, the more the show gets into the recommendations made by the algorithms and the more we are able to spread the truth. Now, speaking of old line Republican thinking, Mike Pence and Dan Crenshaw don't want anyone hurting the FBI's feelings by calling them out for the politically corrupt organization they have become. That's the type of thinking that does not get Republicans elected, especially this day and age where the expectation is our representatives are going to stand up for our rights, stand up for the Constitution, and stand against the over, uh, overreaching federal bureaucracy. It's that type of thinking that the people are running from in Republican candidates. That's the type of thinking that is getting defeated in these primaries. Now, here's the thing. We need to call a spade a spade. And if the FBI has become a corrupt piece of crap that is not serving its purpose, then we need to call it out as such and honestly scrap it and start over. Yes, we need to defund the FBI. And that's Mike Pence and Dan Crenshaw both think that's a bad idea. The FBI has become an untrustworthy organization that is rotten to the core. And what do you do with something that's rotten? You throw it out. You don't hang on to it in hopes it'll get better. You throw it out and you start over. You throw that apple out and you go grab a new one off the tree. That is where the FBI is at and broader picture just about every other one of our institutions. They are rotten and need reform. Actually, they need to be scrapped and recreated under constitutional amendments. Second point, how can we ever trust these institutions again? Why would we ever trust them again? The FBI has been spying on Americans for years. They've spied on a presidential campaign. They've raided a former president's residence without probable cause. They've been raiding political enemies and confiscating documentation, computers, and cell phones unjustly. 
the CDC finally, after almost three years, finally acknowledged that there is no difference between jabbed and unjabbed people. Everyone needs to make their own risk assessments and act accordingly. And in the case of the CDC, what did they chalk their change of heart to? Changing science. I hate to tell these jackwagons the science was clear all along. The numbers bore out that their ruinous policies destroyed businesses, have set our kids back years in their education, and has separated families. Why would you continue on in this abusive relationship with the institutions of this country? Why would anyone ever trust them again? You shouldn't. I don't, and I won't. I was already skeptical of government. Now I have zero faith in the bureaucracy. I have zero faith in the U.S. government. They've proven time and time again to be incompetent, yet we yield more and more power to them. They usurp our rights under the guise of public safety or whatever, and we do nothing to stop it because even after the government has smacked us around repeatedly, then apologize, and I'm sorry, and then they do it again, we still believe that they can eliminate the risk in our lives, so we let them take another whack at our face during their next manufactured crisis. It needs to stop. We need to get out of this abusive relationship that is the people and the U.S. government. We, the people, are the, the owners of the U.S. government. We need to start acting like it. We need to start holding these people accountable. We need to start scrapping the bureaucracy. We need to get back to originalist intent of the Constitution. That means the four bureaucracies that were spelled out, and like I said, if we want others, they're constitutional amendments, period. Okay, so let's get back to the rhinos Pence and Crenshaw here. I have a Federalist piece by Jonathan Tobin titled Mike Pence is Wrong, FBI and DOJ Rot Spreads Way Deeper Than Merrick Garland. Again, Pence thinks that we should be appeasing the deep state bureaucrats by not calling out the obviously corrupt FBI and DOJ. Now, here's what Pence had to say about it. I also want to remind my fellow Republicans that we can hold the attorney general accountable for the decision that he made without attacking the rank and file law enforcement personnel at the FBI. The Republican Party is the party of law and order. Our party stands with the men and women who serve on the thin blue line at the federal, state, and local levels. These attacks on the FBI must stop. Calls to defund the FBI are just as wrong as calls to defund the police. The truth of the matter is we need to get to the bottom of the matter and let the facts play out. But more than anything, the American people need to be reassured of the integrity of our justice system. Justice is dead in this country, Mike Pence. It's time to end this statement, statesman-type garbage rhetoric and get tough, Mike Pence. If the FBI needs to be defunded, and then, then that's what needs to happen. Scrap it. Enough with the investigations that will go nowhere. It's time for action. Impeachments need to proceed. The eradication of the FBI should be on the table. Defunding the FBI is not the same as defunding local police. A fair amount of what the FBI gets involved in could and should be handled by local police forces. But the goal is to nationalize the police force, and that's being done through the corrupt FBI. They stick their nose where it doesn't belong. Now, don't get me wrong. There are 
Many fine people within the FBI, I'm sure there's many fine people at the DOJ that just want to do their job. They want to uphold the Constitution and do things the right way. But if we are to be reassured that our institutions have integrity and can be trusted, those people need to stand up and say enough is enough and uphold the oath they took to to uphold the Constitution by blowing the whistle on this corruption, by not engaging in the corrupt behaviors like raiding former presidents' houses. I know there have been a number of agents. There's been reports of a number of agents who have come forward to congressional members. I know Jim Jordan's been one that's been saying it. I believe I saw our Senator Ron Johnson uh, in another story that has uh, some information from whistleblowers. So that's a start. But action needs to be taken after their testimony is heard. Otherwise, we will be no further along than we are today in trusting the FBI. And in fact, trust will further erode in our government and in our institutions. Mike Pence doesn't get cause and effect, apparently, because the days are gone where we should just blindly trust our institutions. They are politicized. They are obviously weaponized right now going after political targets. Once they're done with their political targets, they will be sent after people who have the wrong thoughts. If you don't believe that, look up some history on third world countries where dictatorships and authoritarian governments have taken over. Look up the history of communism. The people breaking the country now, those professional protester class, You'll be on the chopping block, too, because once authoritarianism takes over, you guys will be the next ones jailed because the authoritarians can't have you going around breaking things anymore because you won't serve their purpose. Wake up, you useful idiots. So, yeah, Mike Pence, the FBI does need to be defunded. Everyone at the top needs to be fired. Anyone that is involved in these political witch hunts needs to be fired. They shouldn't have participated to begin with. If they, they, and they need to be fired for that. And you know what? It, it's okay for people to have a healthy disrespect and skepticism of our government and bureaucratic institutions because they've done nothing to earn our trust in them. And they've done everything to prove they are corrupt, politicized entities that will do anything to implement authoritarianism. Now, I understand, or I should say I understood Mike Pence's stance on certifying the election. I understand there were norms there. I understand that after the events unfolded, we needed to calm things down, and that was seen as a way to do it. I understood it. It doesn't mean I liked it, but I understood it. But the more he opens his mouth, the bigger the disappointment he becomes. He's another one who truly doesn't understand the dynamics that are going on here politically within our country, within the, the, the Republican Party. Now, another major disappointment is Dan Crenshaw. I'll link an article in the description box about his pissing match with Marjorie Taylor Greene over the FBI and defunding it and getting rid of it. Crenshaw is another FBI apologist, and he just continues to be an absolute useless representative. He's uh, just an absolute disappointment. Now, another institution that needs to be abolished that we should have no trust in is the CDC. If anyone trusts the Center for Disease Clowns again, there's nothing I can do to help you. They've proven they don't have any clue when it comes to health. They, they, prove, they have proven that a, a peanut butter approach doesn't work. 
They can they just continued until recently ignoring actual data, facts, and science. They're not even credible. So now, like I said before, their guidance is that the jabbed and unjabbed are on equal footing when it comes to Wuhan virus infection, and that the people need to do their own risk assessments. Well, welcome to the party almost three years late, CDC. This isn't about changing science, as they claim. It's a political play. That's what this is. The science hasn't changed in the last three years. Actually, there's been more and more data coming out to prove that that further solidifies the proof of what we've been saying for almost three years about this virus now. So it's not about changing science. Nothing's changed there other than more and more supportive data has come out. It's political. It's a play to start uh, the, the narrative towards Democrats being unifiers. That's what this play or, or what this declaration by the CDC is all about, that, oh, well, the jabbed and unjabbed are the same now. They're, they're saying, see, the science changed and everyone's the same again. No, the science didn't change. This is political. So the Democrats can say, see, yeah, we're the unifiers. We're bringing everybody together. You know, the, the jabbed and unjabbed, you guys are cool. You're the same. That's what this is about. It has nothing to do with the science and everything to do with the, the midterm elections. Now, the last add on this, and it'll be uh, from a piece by Caitlin Richard, Richardson at The Federalist that I'll link in the description box. But in, in her piece, Richardson notes that 44% of Americans trust the CDC. Why is that number not lower? The CDC is a joke. They've proven themselves to be, to be a joke. They've proven that they, that they just make declarations on a whim. They, they claim science, but their, their guidance is in the, uh, flies in the opposite direction of science, of what the science is. They've proven to be untrustworthy, yet 44% of people still trust the CDC? Now, this number, this 44%, does come from a Newsweek article that Richardson cites in her article. So take that for what it's worth in terms of accuracy. But still, how is it 44% of people that are, are, are still blind to the fact that the CDC's guidelines were used as a power grab for the Democrat Party? That the CDC's guidelines were used as a power grab to upend our elections in 2020? How is it 44% of people are still blind to the fact that the CDC's guidelines were used to strip you of your freedom and liberty, to strip you of your livelihood, particularly if you owned your own small business. You know what? Defund the CDC too while we're at it. Though that statement will probably get Pence and Crenshaw upset because I'm attacking another one of their useless corruption-filled bureaucracies that they hold so dear and they say we need to respect. Respect is earned, and these institutions, if you want to even call them that, have, have disrespected the people for too long. It's a two-way street. They start showing the people that they respect us again, then maybe we'll, we'll trust and respect them back. That's how it goes. So it seems the patron saint of Wuhan, Mr. I Am Science himself, Tony Fauci, is going to step down from government service. It seems that the pending onslaught of investigations into his actions as head of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases has him in touch with his inner Iron Maiden, and he's going to run to the hills while he still has his government bennies intact. Of course, this narcissistic garden gnome couldn't just say he's retiring. No, no. Here's his actual statement on leaving his 
cushy government positions, said this. While I am moving on from my current positions, I am not retiring, Fauci said. After more than 50 years of government service, I plan to pursue the next phase of my career while I still have so much energy and passion for my field. All right. This dude is 81. What next phase in his career is there? Is China calling, saying, Dr. Fauci, we need you here? Who does he owe favors to that he's got a next phase of his career after spending 50 years in the swamp? Now, here's what I think might happen. I think what happens here is he ends up with a teaching gig somewhere, some woke university, polluting young, impressionable minds with his nonsense, painting himself as the savior of the country as it battled a pandemic. The honest truth about America's favorite fraudulent garden gnome is that every time he's been faced with some sort of national health crisis, he screwed it up. His guidance on AIDS in the 80s was lousy. It, it, it resulted in, in you know, many injuries and in deaths, I'm sure, because he gave crappy guidance because he didn't know what he's talking about. And then we all know how his... Coronavirus guidance turned out. I just, you know what, Dr. Fauci, just right off into the sunset already. You're useless. Nobody's paying attention to you anyway. All right. So, finishing up today, as we close in on the November elections, Democrats are jamming through priorities to make it seem like they've gotten some things done as we head into midterms. They're trying to jam through the Biden agenda that he hasn't been able to get through thus far. You know, we ended up with the Inflation Creation Act. And next up on the Biden Broken Promises Tour, we have the cancellation of student loan debt. Yes, $10,000 of debt cancellation to those making under $125,000 annually. Now, this begs the question of why. Why does someone who is doing things right when it comes to maintaining or, or managing their student loans have to pay off the loans of someone who went and either never finished college and racked up a bunch of debt or finished a degree that has a negative net value in terms of the earning potential to pay it back. Why should someone who, who did things right, who maybe even worked their way through college, paid as they went, had no debt when they left college, why do those people have to pay for these societal leeches? It's not my problem that you can't pay your student loans back. Why should someone who was responsible in managing their debt or managing their, their, uh, their college education be on the hook for someone who wasn't managing or isn't managing their debt appropriately or managing their, their uh, path through college appropriately? Now, uh, with this, of course, comes all sorts of stupid takes. And possibly the dumbest take outside of the ones I've seen by Jocahontas as to why people, we the people, should foot the bill of those who took on unsustainable amounts of student debt comes from Nina Turner. Now, Nina Turner's Twitter profile proudly proclaims she's an educator, activist, senior fellow at something called the Institute on Race, Power, and Political Economy, whatever that is. She's a former Ohio State senator and professor. So all that adds up to one stupid take. And what she should do is she should probably add dunce to that list of mediocrity she has in her Twitter bio. Now, here's her take on student debt cancellation. FYI, 
Student debt cancellation isn't paid for by the taxpayers. The federal government is the lender. It's costlier for the government to hold on to the debt. How effing stupid can one person be? You want to know why our republic is crumbling? The Nina Turners with this sort of thought process is why our republic is crumbling. I mean, I know that social media has exposed those among us with the lowest of IQs. But come on, this is basic stuff. The, the taxpayers don't pay the, the loans. It's the federal government because they're the lender. This is basic. Do you not understand, Nina Turner, how these things work? Obviously not. Where does the federal government get its money, including the money it lends out for student loans? Now, I hate to tell Nina Turner, but the federal government all of a sudden didn't start adding value to society in the form of a good or service that people are willing to pay for. Far as I uh, recall and uh, that I know, they still have to extract money from people's paychecks because people aren't willing to give just hand over and donate to the federal government. They have to take it by force. So I'm pretty sure that the, the federal government, um, that the taxpayers are the ones paying back the student loans in the, in the event of a student debt cancellation. Now, to, let's be fair. Maybe she doesn't bother to look at that line item on her pay stub that says federal income tax is paid. Maybe she doesn't. So maybe she doesn't know. But uh, the, what a stupid take. And it doesn't, I mean, there's two stupid takes in this thing. There's this other piece uh, on this bit of duncery that she said it's costlier for the government to hold on to the debt. Uh, there's a thing called an interest rate that's attached to those student loans, Nina. And it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 6%. My student loans are 6.38% interest. The government is making money on the repayment of the loans, just like any loan you'd take out. So it's not costlier for them to hold on to the debt. It, costlier would mean that that uh, they're paying people, right? A negative interest rate, that would be costly to the government. They're making money on these loans. That's how this works. So it's not costlier for them to hang on to it. The interest rate's there to ensure that the administration of the loan is covered, the cost of that. And it's not costlier for them to hold on to the debt because the rules have changed when it comes to student loans, they've changed such that you can't have your student loan debt wiped out by a bankruptcy. That student loan debt will follow you through the process, through the bankruptcy process, and the government will get its money from you for that loan. So that doesn't exactly scream that it's too costly for the government to hold on to the debt, because if it was, they'd just let it go when people file bankruptcy. Now, you throw on the fact that the Biden clown show is pushing through, pushing this, this debt cancellation through after pushing through their Inflation Creation Act uh, that, oh, you know, wasn't going to raise taxes, but is going to raise taxes on people, not only businesses, but people making under $400,000. And we've come full circle on the depth of this dumpster fire full of flaming dog crap that is the demonstrated intelligence and common sense of our elected officials. Now, to say that they have a double-digit IQ at this point is an insult to those with double-digit IQs. 
Life is full of choices and consequences for those choices. It's not my problem you took out $150,000 in loans to go to a private college to get a degree in the intersectionality of tarantulas and cobras, and now you can't get a job that pays more than the minimum wage. That's not my problem. You should have went and got a degree that had value to society, where you can make a decent living, make a decent wage to pay your loans back. It's not my problem that you went to college and spun your wheels for years racking up debt when maybe a junior college or trade school would have been more appropriate. It's not my problem that you didn't, weren't smarter with your money and didn't do like a pay-as-you-go. If you couldn't afford to pay back the loans, you should have just taken classes as you could pay for them. It's not my job. It's not society's job to pay your debt off. I have my own family and my own student loans to pay for and my own family to support. I don't need to be paying off anyone else's debt. Civilizations decline and fall because the stupid overruns the common sense. Listening to people like Nina Turner and not holding the idiots putting these measures forth to account will hasten our decline into irrelevance as a nation. Friends, that's my show for today. Thank you for tuning in. Please check out my website, livingwithlibertypodcast.com. There you'll find links to my past shows, my original articles, as well as other resources to help arm you with knowledge in fighting off the prevailing narratives of the day. While on my website, shop my store, Living With Liberty Outfitters. Lastly, I'd be so grateful if you shared, subscribed, and left a positive review of the show should your listening platform allow. Subscribing helps us move up the charts and helps more people find the truth. I appreciate you spending part of your day with me. Please help us spread the truth by sharing my show and website with friends and family, as well as on your social media accounts. My website is livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Also, let's connect. Follow me on Parlor. My handle is at livingwithliberty. You can also email me. The address is ryan at livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Liberty isn't a given. We must fight to protect it. Working together, we will do exactly that. Until next time.